And, you know, scientifically, they say that as adults, there's less novelty in our lives as we grow. So that's why we have that feeling that life just feels like it's, you know, passing by so, so quickly. But for the first time, I could say, you know what, I felt really grounded and well paced this year. And I really, you know, I didn't necessarily intend to engage in this like slow living movement or anything like that. But I just genuinely felt I learned to notice things like I would go on walks and like notice when the flowers would bloom and all sorts of things like that, that really just helped me sort of get out of this fast frazzled pace that I had grown I'm so used to and and comfortable with. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Emma and Mary Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer, a slow living apparel and lifestyle brand. We started this podcast as a means to further share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having constantly in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now, the farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. Come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now let's dig in. Hey everyone. So today we're at the farm together. Usually we record these separately, but the internet's not working at all. So I came out here and we had a delicious farm lunch. It was really good, mom. Thank you for making that. Do you you want to tell them what you made? Yeah, yeah. So my famous sourdough crackers, so delicious. And kefir cheese flavored with onion and garlic and some herbs. And on top of that, we put the fresh garden tomatoes and cucumbers and basil leaves. And mm, it was so good. Yeah, it was really good and really filling. And those tomatoes were so good from the CSA. Actually, this is a great, this is a great, uh, entry into our conversation today, which is about um, a cookbook and two of our favorite cooks slash meal planners that we found this year. Uh, But before we get going on that, we wanted to just do a quick plug for our virtual slow living retreat. We're still solidifying a lot of specifics and details and getting workshop leaders locked in and their course descriptions locked in. But the good news is you can sign up now. Yes, it is November 14th and 15th. And you can do it from the comfort of your home, of course. And we are just really excited about the possibilities uh, of this format, even though it's really different. But it's going to be good. So Yeah, I, I literally lay awake at night, not in a bad way, in a good way. What, what should I say? I can't go to sleep. I'm so excited <laughs> thinking about just all of the fun ways to to really, I guess, amplify this experience yeah. um, and and make it something that's really special and unique. And I just really want all of you to be a part of it. So please join us. Early bird tickets are on sale for the next few weeks. 
and then we'll bump up to regular price tickets. And we actually, although it's online and we can accommodate a lot more people, we are limiting um, the registrations just so that the workshops maintain that intimate feel and, and you get really face, face-to-face time with uh, your instructors. So just a note about that. Yeah, just go to the website and sign up and we can't wait to see you there. Yeah. Another thing uh, before you forget is that we're also opening up our blog to um, submissions. We'd love to hear from anyone in the community. If you're a writer or you know a great writer or you have a story you want to tell or some photos you want to share, we we think that our, our blog platform could use some community love and we just really love the opportunity to feature folks in our community. Um, I've also been getting some awesome notes uh, to the Good Dirt podcast email of folks that have great ideas for podcasts and interviews to have. So we are just so excited always to hear those things. So don't hesitate to send in any suggestions and you can find the blog submission form on the website as well. And also... If you've been listening to this podcast and enjoy it, please write up a review so that others will see it and be encouraged to tune in as well. Definitely. So on that note, maybe we should dive into today's episode. Yeah. So you're the one that introduced me to Huckling Goose. Um, so you want to talk a little bit about how you found them and why you wanted to interview them? Yes, definitely. I first saw the Huckle and Goose book at Wild West, which is a sweet little store in Leesburg, Virginia, where we also stock, or they stock some of our products. And I ordered it, because this was back when everything was shut down and they had moved stuff online. And it was really just such a sweet and wonderful treat to have during quarantine for some cooking inspiration. Um, And to go a little bit farther back into my story and my relationship with cooking, I have, for the past several years, felt frustrated by my own inability, or so I thought inability, to just get my act together around cooking for myself and meal planning. Um, Just all in my 20s, I just happened to have been lucky to live in group living situations or lived with my parents for a while. Um, I've lived abroad, so I lived with family, uh, family abroad. So it's just, I've never really been totally just on my own cooking for myself I'm usually around other people that like to cook more than I do so it's just something that I've been lucky to get by in my 20s without having to figure out how to do that therefore it's something that's always been really intimidating to me and that I just assumed I couldn't do so it was actually first Samin Nosrat's book Salt Fat Acid Heat that I picked up and really kind of she breaks down a lot of the big scary things about cooking and makes them digestible but it wasn't until I found Huckle and Goose and the things that they talk about in their book, such as habit formation and just the way that they organize their cookbook seasonally, that it really was something that I felt like I could do and it was really empowering. So, yes? Yeah, I think it's the seasonality of the book, the idea of eating in season and helping you prepare foods in season, that really resonated with me. I really like the way they talk about it and organize it and the ideas they have around it. And it was just a really refreshing approach to the whole thing. 
So Christine and Anka agreed to be on our show to our delight, and we had just a lovely conversation with them. They are sisters-in-law, which is really fun. Uh, Anka is in New York, and Christine is actually near us in Virginia. And they say that they wanted to change the story of frustrated home cooks everywhere and help seasonal cooking become second nature. So Huckle and Goose bridges the gap between forgotten recipes on dusty cookbook shelves, Pinterest boards, and magazine stacks, and the unique fr- fruits and vegetables found at farmer's markets and CSA boxes in backyard gardens, which is perfect. It's exactly what we were looking for. Yes, and so we hope you enjoy this episode. It's really fun, and here they are. Sure. Christine and I are sisters-in-law first, and then um, business partners uh, second. And really simply, Huckle and Goose was pretty much started because we needed it. And I know usually with brands and companies, it's amazing to have this like a dramatic backstory. But for us, it's truly down to the core. This is something we needed ourselves. We like to cook. Uh, We noticed that sometimes uh, it truly became uh, harder or we could get in a rut and it evolved into something so much more where we realized that cooking was at its core, you know, central to things, but so many other habits and elements that eventually evolved in Huckle and Goose started with cooking. And that's kind of how it started. It was something we needed ourselves. We, We couldn't see it online. I mean, the amount of recipes and sources are almost infinite out there. And there's so many great recipes and there's so many voices. It was about implementing those in our daily lives that felt really hard, right? Like the planning part of it and figuring out how to make, or we'd make the same recipes over and over. Um, or, you know, open our fridge and I only had half the ingredients. And then it's like, do we really want to go to the grocery store? Like all that stuff we're throwing food out. So it truly evolved from something we selfishly needed. Um, and then as we did it ourselves, we, you know, we're family, we cooked a lot. Uh, we would have people over quite often and, and we just kept hearing this phrase. Uh, if you guys would just tell us what to make and when to make it and where to buy it, like I could do this too. And we would kind of laugh it off. And then slowly uh, we're like, wait a minute, why, why don't we come up with this system? Like we kind of figured it out organically. Why don't we come up with an actual business since it's benefiting us? And so many other people have requested it. Yeah. And as, as Anka's talking, I'm remembering that we actually wanted to start a business together for quite a few years. And we would always talk about different ideas and all of them sort of revolved around food and cooking and helping people cook more. And then I actually accompanied a friend to a farmer's market for the first time. And it was during June. So I happened upon the gooseberry, which is now part of our name. And there was just something that it was just a spark and it just felt really important. And I went home and started cooking with all that produce and then just started kind of making it a habit, but realized what a whole new world this was like cooking with so many vegetables and cooking with some unfamiliar vegetables that that sort of seasonal idea fused with this um, idea of wanting to help people plan and cook more and like that that was the spark that kind of started Huckle and Goose. So I want to hear 
you guys just kind of sum up what your business is. It's more than just a cookbook. So um, just sort of what is the spirit behind it? I would say that Huckle and Goose is a way to overcome the stresses and all the things you hate about cooking and learn to love it and just bring like joy and love and good food into your home. Just really overcoming all those, all those things that you hate about it. And we do that through weekly seasonal meal plans. So just planning out your meals um, and grocery lists and then um, also habits that accompany those. Cause we feel that it's not just, about the cooking it's the habits and sort of perspective you have about cooking and developing a really strong why you you know a why behind you behind why you want to cook we we've kind of said that uh our mantra is be in nature and kind of cook from nature and to just break that down very simply we think cooking three times a week is kind of like really the place where done consistently without being overwhelmed really makes this truly like a lifestyle habit. And so when you cook three times a week and you notice what's going outside, so like nature, but then you also notice what's going on inside, which is human nature. We've kind of meshed that into this method because all of that is intertwined. Cooking on its own, we found, just doesn't cut it out. And when we realize that there are other elements that really support it, just like noticing the seasons and nature, and then also our own habits internally and just kind of our daily rhythms, weekly rhythms in our own families, just kind of paying attention to that kind of surprised us that cooking really is at its core, but there are other elements that truly support it or can hinder it. And Huckle and Goose is that method to kind of break that up. We initially break that up for you. And also that change is pretty slow or at least really good, consistent change. We found um, not only in our daily lives, takes time and it's done pretty in pretty small increments, you know, not this like drastic change. So it's that like acceptance that it's a journey and there are like these small little tweaks that inevitably lead to like a truly a transformation in your home. Like you just, you just kind of wake up after a while and be like, huh, I've become this person, but I can't pinpoint exactly when it happened. I've just been doing this rhythm. I've been following these habits, these steps laid out for me. And now it's become second nature. And that's truly what we want. We want something that people stick to because it's become part of them uh, more than uh, like a workout routine or anything that just feels like I need to reach this goal and this is how to get there. We want this to be something that people gradually embrace and it becomes who they are truly. It's really evident when you read your book, that's the way that it's organized and, and the very first you know, you start reading it and it's like, oh, actually, these are kind of like some essays about just like really easy, applicable things that I can start doing right now that it was the first time that I'd encountered something like this that was like actually helpful, helpful in breaking down um, this, yes, this very like intimidating and overwhelming concept of like cooking at home with seasonal ingredients. <laughs> that feels really out of reach sometimes. That means a lot. And the fact that you picked up on that right away is so um, encouraging. And like, we couldn't want to hear anything better than that. So I, I have something to add to um, Christina's berry story. I have my own berry story. Uh, oh, I want to hear this. <laughs> when something kind of clicked in me. Uh, we were living in Washington, D.C. 
uh, we lived there for five years before we came out to the farm. And my husband came home from the grocery store one day and he had a clamshell of raspberries and he had paid like $6 for it. And, and it was like February or something. And it just, it, it, something came over me. It was like, this is not right. This is just not right. And, you know, I said something to him about it and he goes, well, you know, I feel like raspberries, you know, that's what they cost this time of year. And, and I, I sort of found myself saying, well, yeah, but you know, you're not supposed to eat raspberries in February. And I, it was almost like I really hadn't thought about it before. It just felt wrong. (laughs) So, um, we kind of started at that point, like really paying attention to what was seasonal or whatnot, just kind of like, I don't know, it just sort of happened. And, um, and then we got a farmer's market in our neighborhood and we would go on Sunday morning and, and there was this stuff. And I've always had gardens and was always aware of that. It was just that suddenly it became something I really wanted to integrate. Yeah, you could you could grow stuff in your garden, but you could also go to the store and get whatever, whenever. Yeah. But we gradually started kind of shifting away from that. And now, as you said, Anka, you just wake up and, and this is the way it is. You know, we would, buying a clamshell full of raspberries would be, you know, like about the last thing we would do. And um, in fact, I was out picking raspberries this morning because they're just starting to come in. My kids now too. Every once in a every once in a in a great while, you know, I'll buy berries out of season, and they'll just like gasp and say, "Oh, are berries like what? What happened?" And they're just like so yeah. thrown off by it because they're so used to you know, like now it's strawberry season, and we're just buying like buckets and buckets every single week until we're sick of them, you know, and then we don't. I don't buy them really again until May when they when they go out of season again. That's so wonderful that your kids are attuned to it. Yeah. I feel like that's something as a child of the '90s that I just didn't experience. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's no one's fault, mother. Don't feel bad. <laughs> no, I, you know I, I visit this quite often. That's it. all this all this stuff I'm living now. You know, um, you know, I wish I had been here when my kids were growing up but no like you know I I had three kids that grew up through the 90s and it was I mean it was the Costco generation let me tell you and um and I also want to say something super interesting about this your your concept your basic premise that um um people need a way to approach uh their food prep and eating and stuff that um and cooking that makes it something they want to do, makes it easier to incorporate into your life. And I was thinking back, like, in the 50s, I think there was the same, the same kind of um, idea that we need to make cooking and food preparation easy for people so they can eat at home. But it was a whole different slant. It was more based on convenience. And that's when all these processed foods started coming on board. And I remember, I remember that transition. I grew up in the sixties and I can actually remember like things coming into our house that were, that seemed like they were just so wonderful, like Jell-O one, two, three, you know, where you, y'all don't even know what that is. You make the Jell-O and over, yeah, it, it goes into three layers like magic in the refrigerator and cool whip and, um, 
was the other thing. Oh, suddenly salad uh, where the the pasta and the spices and the vegetables were all like dehydrated and all the seasonings and everything in a box and you just dump the whole thing into boiling water and voila, you had a pasta salad. We, we just thought that was so great. I was born in um, Romania. I mean, Christine's parents uh, uh, came here. So Christine was born in America. Uh, and I was born in Romania during communism. But in general, it's uh, when we when my parents uh, fled Romania and we, you know, uh, came over here in the States, uh, America was like this beacon like the, uh, of hope. And obviously you everything in, in America, like the streets are paved with gold and you can get food anytime. And obviously coming from a communist country where you're, you know, you're waiting in line for milk. But in general, I grew up and everyone had their, you know, chickens and pigs and uh, you grew seasonally and you preserved everything and you ate nose to tail. And so I grew up with that and, um, you know, the vegetables in the backyard and dirt. And, you know, if there was a hailstorm, well, there goes your your vegetables and, and figuring out uh, what you're going to eat. So all, all this stuff. And it, it felt so uh, primitive and peasant-like when I moved to the States. So I'm thinking like, oh, you know, I come, I come from this country and we're so backwards and, you know, the horses and people are plowing fields. And we moved to the States and I will never forget my very first experience. My father took me to a grocery store um, and it was, it was Dominic's, but you know, any grocery store. It was in, uh, outside of Chicago. And not only did the doors open, but like we walk in and I'm just like, it's so etched in my memory that I like just now I feel myself there as a seven-year-old. And there are not only fruits I've never seen in my entire life, but there are like rows of milk and different kinds of milk and then ice cream. And I was so overwhelmed, but I was, I said, this must be like heaven. I can't believe people live this way with all this abundance. And I would beg mom for like microwave meals and stuff from a can, you know, and anytime they would make bone broth, right. Or like homemade sauerkraut or any of that, I would just shun it. Like it was so <laughs> backwards and it's so, you know, amazing. Like the circle of life that here I am now talking about, uh, all my nostalgia and all the recipes. And so much of the book does have our Transylvanian roots of these foods that nourish my soul that I didn't realize. Like, I just thought because it's processed in a certain way and because it's flashy and because it's convenient and all this stuff that it must be better. But it's so amazing for me in my own journey to realize like where I came from and sometimes things being better faster aren't, aren't actually good for us. And it's, uh, and I think, you know, America and the Western world in general is making that shift to realize advancement, but at what cost? And is this truly advancement if we're not nourishing ourselves, right? Or, or it like completely destroys the soil, like all these other nuances and um, of issues. But it's so interesting to hear, uh, Mary, uh, that you like lived through that, because that for me is like, I remember those days, I thought the same thing, because I came from Romania from like one way of living, and I showed up here. And I mean, I thought frozen microwave meals were like the coolest thing. And now I just, I couldn't, you couldn't pay me to eat one. Um, but yeah. it's just, again, like being exposed and noticing and digging a little deeper. And I realized how naive we can be or just assume, be part of that status quo. Like, well, this is just how it's always been and not questioning it and not digging a little deeper. 
or assuming because it's the newest thing that it's the right thing. Oh, um, yeah. So. And your story speaks so much to the fact that it's only been like a generation or two since we left all this. I mean, you were living yeah. up. And, and, yeah. and, and, you know, in your lifetime, and I was living in, in my lifetime, I'm, I'm a generation older than you, but, and, you know, when I grew up in my young childhood, everybody had a garden. If you didn't have a garden, your neighbor did, and it was no problem. And you had bags of produce on your doorstep because they didn't know what else to do with it. Um, that kind of thing. And that just quickly disappeared. Uh, once, uh, you know, it just, the culture just changed. And I think the culture changed in the name of convenience. Everybody just felt like they were too busy to deal with it. And there are all these cool products and, you know, um, Fifth Avenue had a lot to do with this too, marketing and, and the, the food system and what was going on with food politics and all that, all these combinations of things. But, um, so Christine, what was your, when you grew up, what was your food story? Yeah, I have a real, it's similar in that, um, like I said, I was born here, but I'm first generation born here. Um, so, you know, my parents were here for just a couple years, uh, when I came on the scene and, um, we lived with my grandparents. So my grandpa always planted everything in the garden. So, you know, I grew up with like fresh cucumbers and tomatoes and all sorts of herbs. I remember, you know, my mom cooking and just like chomping on, on parsley, um, But, you know, similarly to Anka's story, um, my parents also came from communist Romania where they, you know, went to grocery stores and saw all this canned stuff and were just like, you know, this is a land of milk and honey. So I grew up on a lot of processed um, food as well. Um, And for me, when when I became a wife and a mom and just started thinking of the importance of health a little bit more and um, cooking at home that sort of led me to the farmer's market and um, you know made me want to cook at home more what do you think is if you had to pick one the number one thing that people like what is that what is the barrier like what's the wall um, or what's it mostly made out of that you kind of have to break through and and what is what do you guys make of this kind of I see it as like we're like retraining ourselves absolutely um, to be self-sufficient and so um, yeah can you break that down a little bit like what are the main elements of that I think the first barrier is everything we've been talking about is that convenience has been our way of life for so long that thinking outside of those boundaries is just really difficult for us. And I think we've constructed our lives around quick eating. Um, so for, for me, um, for me, the main thing was um, just like having a, a new mindset about it and shifting my perspective and coming up with a really good reason or why I wanted to be self-sufficient and why I wanted to cook at home when I had so many other options all around me that didn't necessarily require me to do that. Um, So I think that's the main barrier. And then secondly, I think is just the overwhelming nature of how many recipes there are out there and um, just planning around our lives and finding a way to take all those recipes and um, filter them out throughout our week and writing your grocery list and figuring out what you want to make. So first, I think the mindset. And then secondly, I think it's just that planning, um, 
because I think cooking is such a multifaceted skill. You know, you there's like the, the planning involved. There's also the cooking know-how, you know, knowing how to cook. There's the going out and getting everything. So there is so much involved in cooking and they're all different components, which is why I think the habits are so important you know, learning all these different separate skills and then fusing them together to learn how to be self-sufficient. And when you uh, go to the farmer's market or go to pick up your CSA and you come home, the thing I've discovered is I have to plan a good bit of time to organize the food and deal with it and, um, plan what I'm going to do with it, you know, whenever, maybe go ahead and wash the greens or whatever. But it's like CSA day is like its own day, really, or <laughs> a big chunk of it, so you know. True. Yeah. And, um, and most of us, I think, just yeah. don't have that time or make that time. Um, right. That. It's like not a thing you could have done with three kids in the 90s at home, mom. Yeah. Like that wouldn't have been an option. Oh, no. no. <laughs> just was, with the way we were doing things. I was so excited about that frozen casserole from Costco that <laughs> just, yeah. you know, went in. I mean, really, I'm, you know, I, I think about that a lot. Anka, your story was so amazing that you told earlier about the feeling of walking into the grocery mm-hmm. store. Um, and then just kind of like reckoning that with like your values now. And, um, I just, I wonder what you might have to say, if anything, to, um, someone similarly who's like, but Costco's amazing. And like, and maybe just like might not get it. Um, I guess also I'm kind of wrapping this question up in another one that I was thinking, which is like, besides the obvious things, like it's healthier for you and like you can save money. Um, like why is cooking at home and this lifestyle, like probably objectively just like more beneficial in so many ways. And what are some of those like maybe less obvious ways that it's affected in your life? Mm-hmm. Well, for one big obvious one, I think just now, just with what we're in with COVID is I think uh, a lot of people have been kind of shocked into, you know, what happens if I have to feed myself, you know, that kind of realization of like the basic human necessities that we, we should kind of like maybe know the basics, the basic nourishment, you know, making even like eggs or something where you feed yourself and your family. Um, That can be really rattling when you feel incompetent or just completely lost uh, where your life can shift so fast. And it, sh- and it shows you really at the core, I think, with COVID, among other things, like relationships and food, and fa- like all the core things that um, a lot of us either brush aside or, you know, uh, look for the convenient route in general, just through this process has made us like just kind of stare at it dead in the face, right? Which is why the CSA that um, Mary was, you were mentioning, like got sold out, right? So fast, all of a sudden people are like, wait a minute, um, this is this is reality or how did we miss this? So I think at the core, it's like, it's an, it's an incredible thing to be able to like feed yourself and family. Um, but also, you know how the saying goes, like you can lead a horse to water, you can't you know, make him drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has to be a tug at someone's heart um, 
or at least like I, I want more. I would like to like cooking. Like there, I, I know I can't convince anyone. And I've realized that there has to be like a certain spark, whether they're tired of, you know, eating takeout all the time or they just feel, feel sluggish. They're looking for a change. You know, I could tell all the health benefits, et cetera, et cetera. But at the core of it, I've realized there has to be just an initial spark, like a, a desire to at least want to cook more. And then from mm-hmm. there, um, usually what happens is this huge wall of doubt, which is I have no idea where I'm getting started. I'm overwhelmed, da, 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 and all the things pile up. And that's where we come in to say, you know, like just kind of like a friend next to you saying, okay, let's start with baby steps. Like you don't need to cook seven meals. You don't even need to look for the recipe. I have them written for you and you just need to do something in like three times a week. So like put everything else aside and making like bone broth from scratch. Like let's start with the basics. Um, Mm -hmm. And also another thing I would say, like kind of that goes hand in hand with this is like eating seasonally for me has kind of helped not only notice, but not only with my family, but eating seasonally gives you this perspective about uh, appreciating kind of where food come from. Cause it's all, it's always like the why there's always like something deeper. Uh, and mm-hmm. what I've noticed in myself is uh, I was telling Christine the story, but we went upstate to visit my in-laws and all the trees, you know, there are no fruits on them. There's like pear cherries. And my kids were like, Oh man, like where, where did they go? And I said, well, there was like a late frost and all the flowers that budded on the trees like died. And so now there's nothing's growing. And it was such a teachable moment for them to realize like, wait, just because of something that happens outside of our control, now we can't have these fruits because you go into a grocery store and it's just there and you just assume it'll always be there. And, you know, that started like a deeper conversation, one, appreciating like farmers and two, realizing when you do go to the farmer's market in these small, like Christine saying, she's eating so many strawberries and you get sick of them and you can smell them a mile away because they're so fragrant. It's, I feel like it builds this um, true rhythm and sync with like the world at large that we are like so part of with like the different seasons. Um, that if people kind of allowed themselves to realize that cooking is like maybe the tip of the iceberg and it reveals so much underneath that when you, when you know that someone worked hard for your food and where it came from, I think it's like a little bit of educating. I think we're a little ignorant and we choose to be ignorant because it's easier when you don't, you know, like even with clothing, we want to know where it's made now or before it's like, give me the cheapest and I'll buy whatever. And now we're concerned and we should be. And I think it's the same with food uh, a little bit when I step back and, you know, and I think about where is it coming from? Why am I cooking? Do I want to nourish my family? I'm sure Christine knows how to add to this because I went on like, I go on five different tangents and she's like, well, I asked you how your day was <laughs> up on vacation too. <laughs> um, I echo everything Anka just said that is so amazing and really resonates with me too. I think um, part of the unexpected benefits for me, like I mentioned earlier, part of that spark for me was just that initial trip to the farmer's market and already wanting to, you know, cook more at home and be healthier. So those two things for me just added up to this spark, you know, that was like, okay, I'm going to start living this way and and cooking this way. Um, And for me, 
personally, I, I can get so, and I know you guys are all about like slow living and I can get so caught up in just this frazzled way of living. I love to work. I love a fast pace and cooking for me just really grounded me in this really unexpected way. I, I remember after my first year of cooking seasonally and, um, cooking exclusively seasonally, I remember, you know, when people are always like, whoa, time's passing so fast, you know, uh, this year went by so fast in a blink. And for the first time, and, you know, scientifically, they say that as adults, there's less novelty in our lives as we grow. So that's why we have that feeling that life just feels like it's, you know, passing by so, so quickly. But for the first time, I could say, you know what, I felt really grounded and well paced this year. And I really, you know, I didn't necessarily intend to engage in this like slow living movement or anything like that. But I just genuinely felt, you know, just more rooted. And um, I learned to notice things like I would go on walks and like notice when the flowers would bloom and all sorts of things like that, that really just helped me sort of get out of this fast, frazzled pace that I had grown um, so used to and, and comfortable with. Um, so for me, that was definitely one of the, the unexpected um, benefits of it. I do like to cook, but like left to my own devices, there are things that I'd rather do more. So it's a lot like working out for me. Like I really need habits surrounding that. And I feel like I need to create an environment for myself where I want to do it more and I make it easier for myself to do. Um, and, you know, I've noticed that as a mom, I have three kids at home. And when, you know, there's, mom, what are we having for dinner? And, and when I know that I have to do it, it is just such a dreaded chore for me. Um, and I really don't like to do it. And last year, all the kids were away. They were um, with Anka's parents in Romania. So I had a few weeks to myself and a few weeks into it, I just started cooking and I just fell in love with it all over again because it was like a hobby then, you know, I was just like smelling the garlic as I put it into the pan and the onions. And I was just like chopping the peppers and I was so into it. Um, and I noticed that if I'm at home with the kids and I'm, you know, in the, the usual, day and you know trying to get dinner on the table that doesn't really happen as often unless I plan so for me the habits and the planning and all those things are so important for me to create this rhythm of seasonal eating that's sustainable and enjoyable for me so we initially started Huckle and Goose with a really heavy emphasis on the seasonal and then as we were writing the book we realized that cooking seasonally is more a component to um, understanding like the root of where our food comes from and creating these rhythms in our lives. Um, so I think we've, we've moved away from making it such a prominent component in Huckle and Goose. But for me, cooking seasonally is like an essential habit for me. Like I need to be in the fresh air, getting my food, talking to the farmers, that is something that inspires my cooking exponentially. I'll jump in. One of ours is one of our habits uh, in the in the planning. Mary, you touched a little bit on it when you said you had like a CSA day, which is so true. Like you kind of need to set one aside. And initially it looks like 
you're maybe losing a, an entire day or like an afternoon. Um, but then if you were to calculate your day, your week, if with the random shopping that we do, where it's like you forget an ingredient, you end, go to the store and you end up with 30 more. And then you just kind of bought them on a whim and half of them go in the trash and you're still, and it's like a vicious cycle. Cause then you still only have half cause you're scrambling to find recipes and you're just flustered. And this is why people give up on cooking because it's too time consuming uh, or so they think with the planning part. Um, and I totally agree with Christine. I'm not a planner uh, and I'll, I like to do things on a whim, but it got to a point where I realized like I am throwing food away um, and I could be cooking within a budget. Like ugh, a budget is like something I don't want. But when I started really just very on a very simple level, um, cooking in this way. Um, and part of that, we have a couple habits, like one is the empty fridge habit. So it is like, let's say your CSA day, it's going through your fridge, um, even like the night before, and you have like half a cauliflower, two random carrots that are, you know, kind of soft. And most people would be like, oh, let me toss this. Um, what we do with Huckle and Goose is we've given people buckets, let's say, for how to think in categories. So each of our each of our days, like Monday, you know, is like hearty bowls, pasta greens and, and legumes. And then like Tuesdays, taco, anything. So it just, and usually what happens is, for instance, with that last day, like depending on what it is, let's say it's a Friday and I have these random vegetables. More often than not, my go-to is you just dice them up and you roast them and you stick it in the tortilla. And especially with kids, they will eat anything roasted it's like, I, I feel great. Cause I'm not wasting. There's always inevitably a couple half, you know, veggies in there. Um, and, uh, and another habit that would go with that is that we have like our dressing jar for the week, right? We make like one dressing and we give the components in the book as well of how to make this, um, another habit that we have is an herb box. And so on that CSA day, you kind of wash everything like you were mentioning, Mary. So you, it takes a little longer, but we go through all our greens, um, and it, they last longer. You, we wash them, we store them properly, you know, wrapped in um, a towel or like uh, paper towels, and then you keep them in the fridge. And half the battle for me is prepping or like having to wash something because greens and herbs need to be dry or they, you know, they don't turn out well in a recipe. And then it just kind of slows you down. But if I know they're already ready to go and washed, so I'm not talking about pre-chopping. I'm just talking about like washing things, storing them properly in the fridge. These are part of the habits we give. Um, and once you have that in there, coming up with a dinner literally in 25 minutes is absolutely possible because you've planned ahead. You know, based on the, let's say it's Thursday night, um, which is usually meat and aside for us. And, you know, your husband or someone brings you know, a, a steak. Um, you kind of work in your head like, oh, what's today? And in that bracket, uh, that helps us cook within these like limitations. So instead of having like, well, what can I do with a cauliflower? There's endless possibilities. If it's a Friday and I know Friday is like pizza or sandwiches or some kind of comfort food, I'll think of like, let's make a veggie burger with cauliflower. But if I just have a cauliflower and I like to cook, um, it's infinite possibilities actually make things harder. But when I am given boundaries and I, and that's made us more creative, even in developing recipes, Christine and I develop recipes 
And once we gave ourselves these like limitations based on the day of the week, we've come up with like incredible recipes. Um, I can't just walk in a room, you know, like how designers can walk into a room and then like they see everything. I need like the limitation. I need to see something. And I think most people are like that. And the beauty of how this works is we've had people who, I mean, couldn't even honestly like figure out how to crack an egg that are telling me how they tweaked a recipe because they've been doing this consistently for like three months. And they're telling me the kind of taco they came up with because it was within that constraint, uh, like combinations that I haven't even thought of. Um, so it's all these tiny little habits and not all at the same time. And, you know, people pick them, but they really, truly help transform. And it just gives you this inner confidence because now you know that you're going to empty your fridge and clean it. You know, you're going to wash your veggies are ready to go. Come Tuesday night, it's taco night. You have extra cilantro, you know, the dressing. You're going to like whiz it in a blender, you know, it's a little bit of garlic and, you know, some olive oil, and you're going to drizzle that over some roasted vegetables and that's dinner. And it's, it's just such a great feeling to know that you, you did this. And you also did this because you followed like some, some steps. And really that's what all the habits are. They're pretty easy. That I think through different times and seasons in life, I think you lean a little bit more heavily on, on some of the habits. Um, you know, like to some degree, personally, I incorporate, um, you know, almost 100% of these habits to some to some degree. Um, but for me, I feel like the most important ones are, we have this one called, I think it's like morning meditation or one minute morning or something like that, where it's just when you wake up, just stopping for a minute and listing a few things you're grateful for and just take a few deep breaths and think about what's important that day. And for me, that's really centering. Um, and then I'd say the other really important habit for me is, um, the solo date, which is just being by myself for a few hours, treating myself to like a coffee or a nice drink and, you know, going through the cookbook or some online recipes that I've saved and just, you know, planning everything out as, as much as possible. And then the dinner, we have this habit called a dinner declaration, which is, after you've sort of planned your week, whether it's before you go shopping or after you go shopping, like your CFO day and you figured out what you want to make. It's like getting all of that up on the wall, um, like writing it on a piece of paper. If you have a chalkboard at home, it's just writing what's happening every single day. And for me, that's just held me accountable to what I said I planned and I would cook. And it also helps my kids know, you know, what's, what we're having for dinner every single night. So I don't get a million questions like, mom, what's for dinner? Um, so that, um, I, I think that those two are sort of the most essential for me. And then also getting outside and eating outside are awesome for me. I just, I love, I didn't grow up like, uh, I didn't grow up in nature and I didn't grow up being outside a lot, but I've noticed for me, I think that's why, being at the farmer's market and being in the open air and seeing my food there and buying my food there has been um, so transformative for me. So, um, you know, now as an adult, just making it a priority to be outside and eat outside, I feel like it just adds to this full experience of, you know, making this a rhythm. Those are such great suggestions. I'm learning so much here. I love the dinner declaration. That's, that's wonderful. And <laughs> I guess we'd sort of do that informally, my, my husband and I here, and we'll say, okay, tonight, well, you know, this thing is thawed and we'll have it. And, um, but 
I, I think now I'm going to make it more of a thing because yeah, it makes it official yeah. feeling. Yeah. yeah. I like, and I like even having a little chalkboard and writing down, we're going to have this tonight. And, and sometimes, um, you know, they'll, there'll be a piece of meat thawing or something that he's put in that I'm not aware of. And it's all a way of communicating that, you know, what, what we have on hand and all that. Yeah. Anka is going to re- revisit the thing about the greens and you were, we were talking about CSA day and getting ready and having your refrigerator cleaned out and everything. That's so good because you're making space for the stuff to come in and you're not just piling stuff on top of like week old vegetables and all this. I wanted to, I wanted to re- revisit the greens thing because especially this time of year when um, and we're eating seasonally and it's all about greens, you can come back from the store, the farmer's market or your CSA or wherever it is you shop and have a pile of greens. It's pretty overwhelming because they're bulky. And like you said, like, you know, you might think I would like a salad, but I'm not about to go in, go in there now and like try to wash all this greens. So pre-washing the greens is cool. What I want to ask you is I heard you say, you know, you wash them and then they need to be dry and then you wrap them in a towel. Can you go into that process a little more? Cause I want to do it right. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, um, pretty simple. We've usually used, like we, we let them air dry naturally. I mean, our whole counter, if you do this right, you'll wash them and just let them sit on the counter while you're probably cleaning out your fridge. But you wash them, you air dry them. And in general, I mean, obviously now there's so many amazing companies that I've, that we've stumbled upon, you know, they have all this like amazing material. They don't even have to put it, I guess, in the box. I have some that I still need to try, but essentially you stick them in these bags and they're like a specific cloth like bag that lets it breathe. But for us in the past, it's honestly worked to wash the greens, let them dry. And then for herbs, um, sometimes it's like slightly, you'll wrap it in a paper towel and it just helps absorb that extra moisture. Cause inevitably when it's like shut in a sealable container, it'll still have like extra moisture. And if that doesn't get absorbed, like that's when things kind of wilt or like, um, turn bad faster. But in this way, we found personally that, uh, it keeps them longer than, you know, I've done the jar method where I've put like the herbs in like a glass of water or something on my counter and they actually wilt faster. Um, at least what I found. And then, then this way they last and we put all of them in, in one bin and they can oh, be like, yeah. you know, those huge, like what size are those Christine that we would use when we would cater to, you know, those big, uh, glad ones with the, plastic i mean like really cheap i think they might be a gallon i want to say and i just i actually bought a bunch of dill two and a half weeks ago and then i was just gone for 10 days and it's still all green it's not slimy so it lasts a really long time that way wow do cloth towels work as well if you want to avoid using plastic i usually use um paper towels, but I have used cloth a couple times. And I think as long as, you know, when you have towels and some of them are more absorbent than others, you want to use the cotton ones that are really like, yeah, the, the absorption is, is the main component. So if they're like soft and absorb a lot, that's what you're going for. But yeah, you can use kitchen towels. So do you roll the greens up in it or do you like kind of lay them out flat? Like if, you know, washing the greens, drying them out on the counter, and then you roll them up in a cotton towel. Is that 
Is that how you visualize this? Yeah, you can roll them up. And sometimes it's nice to sort of, if you have a lot of greens in a box, to sort of weave the towel throughout so you don't have uh -huh. like a huge layer of greens just like all together. Okay. We'll store all our herbs in one box. Um, yeah. And like Christine said, kind of like weave so it's like separated so you're not like the dill mixed with the cilantro. But it's just helped. I mean, that alone, uh, washing greens and peeling garlic it's like I, two things I hate the most. Like if if someone, yeah. I have my son now, he's with the garlic peeler. I just tell him, Lucas, go, can you peel, you know, I need six cloves. And I don't know why, but that alone, it meets so much of my dread of cooking. I'm like, oh, and we just kind of ask. I think it's like, what's the problem? What's really keeping? What do I hate? And if you acknowledge them and we step back and we look at it, it's like, okay, well, let me just get someone else to peel the garlic. Like, and you give kids tasks. Um, and that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast, like getting kids involved in cooking and eating, it would take us down a different road, but, uh, it really helps like getting other people involved and it's small things. Um, but that alone, if I know the garlic's waiting for me, I mean, that takes 15 minutes, at least in yeah. my mind. I, I agree about both those tasks. They're, they're obstacles. And yeah, like in our house, like, um, I don't love handling meat. I mean, I, I love to eat it in moderation, but I don't like to handle it. So my husband does that, you know, he's, he's the yeah. guy that's going to put the meat in the crock pot and all that kind of stuff. And you just get a system. Teamwork. Yeah. <laughs> Teamwork. <laughs> Have y'all, I mean, I think at this point it's obvious that you do, but I want to hear about like how much you guys do stick to the like cooking three times a week and cooking in the categories and stuff. And then if that has changed at all in any way during the, global pandemic we probably cook more actually now like there's less you know takeout in general and we have dinner together every every night basically even if it's like you know leftovers or it's like clean out the fridge we have like five different leftovers and it's that kind of night so we that's very consistent um all of us eating dinner together but what has happened because it has been more cooking at home. And since the kids are home, it's like, you know, it's like now lunch too, and all this other stuff, it's just a lot. And you get tired is I've printed out like really simple recipes before I definitely would ask for help uh, or like try to like teach my kids. But you know, that's another own because it takes not only long to have more patience. And when you're, when you have stuff to do, you're like, I, I just want to get dinner on the table. And sometimes, you know, I set time aside to teach them, but in general, it's like, I just want to get this done because it's already a task. But now it's just been like, look, I'm exhausted. So here's a simple recipe. And, you know, my, my 11 year old, uh, my 12 year old son, he's making stuff. I'll just let him kind of like, here's a simple recipe. Um, my daughter, my teenage daughter made like veggie burgers for the first time. Granted, it took her like three hours, three and a half. I mean, she just kept coming back to me. And I'd be like, but did you read the, the step two tells you what to do? You know, she's like, I know, but I'm confused. And so, and that also gave me insight that even if it's laid out, it's daunting for a lot of people, especially when you're starting out. And for me, it's like, what? There's the ingredients. I told you to chop it in half an inch. And she's like, well, how much is that? And so it was really insightful for me to realize how daunting something can be that I assume for me is easy but she did it and they were really good veggie burgers. So yeah, that's how it's changed in my, I've actually taken a little bit of a step back 
and uh, and been really amazed that my kids um, have, you know, it takes longer, but they can do it, which tells me anyone can do it. So before before the pandemic, um, we cooked, um, or I cooked three times a week, and a lot of times more, you know, some weeks three, some weeks a little bit more than that. But I, I'd say like before the pandemic, we were a lot in like recipe testing mode. And um, right before the pandemic, I kind of took a step back from that and just really relished sort of following our book and cooking, you know, the same things week after week and just really getting into those rhythms. And um, when the pandemic hit and we couldn't get out of the house as much to go shopping, we would shop um, once every 10 days or or two weeks. Um, So it really helped me get into this rhythm of using up every single thing in the fridge and in the pantry and just being really frugal and economical with with everything in the kitchen. And that was really exciting for me. And there were a lot of ebbs and flows, you know, there were some weeks when I was just really into it. And then other weeks when, you know, like Anka said, I was just like, done with it. So that's when I started delegating a bit more. I my teenage daughter started cooking a couple meals every week. And then the best part of the pandemic has been that even my husband has gotten into cooking, um, which has been really awesome the first the first one of the first things he made was um french toast and it was actually april 1st that he made french toast and called all of us i think i told you this like he called um, all of us down for french toast and the kids were like ha ha dad funny (laughs) joke (laughs) but it's um like he has just nailed french toast now and makes french toast all the time and he makes a few dinners um, specifically seafood dinners because I don't love cooking seafood so he started doing that and it's really just like Anka said has helped me take a step back and it's been really really awesome and I think um, I'm really excited for this new family rhythm going forward yeah one of the one of the gifts of the of the quarantine I think um, you know I have a couple of things I want to add in. One of the things was when, Anka, you were talking about that teaching moment you had with your kids when they noticed the, that the trees didn't have the fruit on them. And uh, that is so, I just think that's so big for, for you know, children to make that connection. And we're living here in this farm community and in May, when we had two or three, like, really late frost in a row, I'm sure the same ones you're talking about, and our neighbors, it was, it was like a neighborhood thing. Everybody was aware, and you were, you were worried about your neighbor's fruit or, you know, the winery next door worried about their grapes, and um, there's this real community feeling around it, and, the, um, you know, the result was not good, and, and over the next two or three days, we were hearing about, well, so-and-so lost, like, 80% of their crop, and these people lost all of theirs. And so it was just, to me, it was a, I said, wow, this is like, this is a real community thing here when you live in an agricultural area and surrounded by people trying to grow things and for a living. It was really, it was really, um, what's the word, poignant. I think that's also one of the benefits of just, um, uh, you know, shopping and cooking seasonally and locally is, I've noticed this too, even though I'm not in a farm community, I think it just brings people together and you're aware of what's happening around you. And I think there's a lot of trickle down benefits to that. 
what you were saying about noticing that the cooking had helped you sort of uh, shift into more of a slow living mode um, and like the the presence of working with the food and peeling the garlic and doing whatever made you feel ga- grounded and when you look back over the year you realize gosh it was it was more you know well paced i i noticed more um that's like that's the heart of of slow living that's just like to be in the moment and to pay attention to every moment and it's so true that people go this this year went by so fast that's because we didn't notice anything in it. So it doesn't have any, like, it's not in our brain. It's not imprinted in our experience because we weren't even there. So I love the way you put that. Um, That's, that's like everything. That's, that's slow living in a nutshell. And one more thing I wanted to say, all this thing about like, I was talking about back in the fifties when the whole approach to food was save time, be more convenient. So you can do dot, 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 whatever. And I think what the pen, the pendulum has swung back to where people are beginning to ask themselves, what, what were we trading that time for? We, we, we wanted the jello one, two, three, and the suddenly salad in a box because we didn't have to spend the time making that pasta salad. But what did we do instead? I think in the 90s, when I was raising my children, um, that time was traded for things like zipping them to activities and stuff, you know, that we didn't have time to prepare dinner because they had to go here and there and everywhere. And um, my children had a great time doing all their activities. They had fun. I, you know, probably would do it again. But (laughs) now that I'm older and wiser, it's very interesting to look back on all that and reflect to, you know, how we were handling all all of those things and everything that went into to life at that time. So, yeah, I think that's a big part of Huckle and Goose too is that it's not just the cooking, but it's reordering your priorities um, to make time for what matters. You know, whether that's cooking three times a week or seven times or however many times you cook, it's not really about the cooking. It's more just make time for what matters, and we believe that cooking is a part of that because. Um, it's sort of this keystone habit that, you know, helps you connect with your family better and, you know, provides health for your body and nourishment and all, and all those things. But at the, at the heart, it's just, you know, what are your priorities and what are you making time for? And are you making time to notice what's happening around you and in your home and in you? Yeah, I totally agree. I was going to just add that that key component of that self-awareness of truly being present um, is really hard, especially with like all the distractions we have and, we can, you know, be on autopilot because this, that's how we function. And so we, you just keep doing something because it's easy and it's the way you've done it for all your life or you were raised that way. And that self-awareness component um, is so important. And when Christine mentioned the, that one minute meditation, it is, it's just before anything else, you're just taking the time in the morning to say, okay, before I go and run around and do all this stuff, like, remember that I'm first and foremost, just grateful that I, you know, got up. And I know that sounds cliche, cheesy, or you're trying to be poetic, but truly like our whole lives are pretty much the culmination of all these small daily rituals. And we, we sometimes not demonize them, but we just kind of like 
live through them so we can do the cool major things like graduations and weddings. Like, you know, that's what we live for, but really all our memories and how we become our, uh, our family rhythms and the things that bring us together are these daily seemingly mundane things that, you know, become our life and why not? And this is uh, also like part of the, uh, what we've mentioned in the cookbook is take those small things and, and make them a little nicer. So one of the things we even mentioned really quickly is like, um, go and buy nicer dishes because you like them and they're not for guests. Like put, you know, a presentation is important in the sense that, uh, it makes you happier. Like there's these like little small tweaks to enjoy everyday life. Like, yes, sometimes you're throwing a casserole on the table, but maybe one day, you know, your kids are like lighting a couple candles just because like you have a little extra time or you invite someone over, you know, for like, uh, like a homemade slice of something that you've, you're like so proud that you tried to make and it's like all rustic and half the pie is off and you're sitting on the porch and just enjoying that moment with a friend in present, you know, not over text. It's these little things that like Christine was saying, these are like, this is the novelty that we're trying to build. Like these beautiful, magical moments in everyday life, not trying to make something like we're not trying to create, but it's like allowing that space. And truly, honestly, I've realized in my own life and with my kids is like, if I instill the sense of gratitude, which comes from acknowledgement of the seasons that sometimes you don't get what you want when you want it. And if you do get it, it's not going to be as good as if you waited for it. I mean, these are like basic things that we can already be living just by like cooking and living this lifestyle that are so important to parenting. Like you don't even have to try. They're kind of like instilled in this rhythm of life and the way we cook. Um, but I've seen it. I mean, there's gratitude now. Like you, it, you, it takes the, the uh, focal time off of me and what I want. And so now my kids can say, you know, if they bring them to the farmer's market, they could look at uh, dirt under someone's fingernails or they can say like, how are you? And they can say, we had a, we had a hail and this is why my, my vegetables are beaten up, but they're still good. And that does something for them. Like I want them to think beyond, you know, what's for dinner and just be mindless about it. Um, and, and it's effortless. Cause then it's not like me lecturing them. It's, I've just exposed them to the reality that's always been there. They just haven't necessarily um, seen it. And that's like that self-awareness part. Like, and I'm just more grateful for the stuff. Like even from two years ago, I'm amazed at like my own personal journey that before it was just like, yeah, 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 gratitude. And now <laughs> even with COVID, man, are we so grateful for being able to go see our friends, right? All these things that we took for granted. Um, and Huckle and Goose truly at its core, what Christine and I have tried to do is like, this is what we want other people to feel. Because all the work and everything we do is supposedly for our family. And that's usually the people we mistreat and, you know, brush over easiest because they're just there and they're probably not going to leave. Let's be honest. That's usually how it works with our kids, you know? Um, and we're just trying to provide a way to, to have those sparks and like that self-awareness to just appreciate, you know, like to make something with your child. They're going to remember that. I remember those moments. Like, we, Don't we all have like the, our grandma moments? which they showed yeah. us to make that pie or like the smell. There's nothing stronger than that. And being able to recreate that then with your child or your, or your spouse or your friend, it doesn't matter. Those are what, you know, we carry. Um, and before I would probably like 
and my teenagers or even early 20s kind of scoff at it like oh my gosh you're really trying to make something out of nothing but older and wiser it's like that's really all it's about you know our relationships and and being able to nourish ourselves and those we love it's so true and I have to say I found your book during the pandemic of course and um, it really made my heart ache for like entertaining people and like being with people because you guys do such a good job of kind of laying out like even just tips for hosting and entertaining and, and what that's about kind of on a deeper level. And um, I just love that part of it. And because <laughs> maybe we're just now getting to the point where I could do some of those things that you guys outlined. <laughs> But um, um, I want to hear either one of you or both the origin of the, you might have referenced it earlier, but the origin of the name Huckle and Goose. Yeah, so it was, um, it came from that first, very first trip to the market that sort of, um, I'd, I'd never seen a gooseberry before in my life. I had no idea that they existed. So it, for me, it was just like this enchanting magical fruit and uh, it, it sparked something for me and it it made us basically um, dive into creating the food business that we'd, you know, talked about creating for so long. And when we were thinking of our name, we had a bunch of papers up on the wall and we were just going through, you know, all the options that we could possibly have for a name. Um, and we merged it with, um, we didn't have a personal experience with the huckleberry, but the huckleberry was a very similar berry in that you couldn't um, get it at the grocery store and it was something that you could only get at the market. So we just thought it sounded really cool together, huckle and goose, and it embodies this idea that, um, you know, living in such a way that, you know, you're in sync and in rhythm with the seasons and just waiting for everything in its time was sort of, captured in this name yeah I love that <laughs> it's similar too to the um the pawpaw is another one of those fruits that's yes. like amazing because and um mom and I kind of love it because it's a little bit like what's the word like rebellious or something because you're like hot you literally cannot <laughs> ship a pawpaw because it'll it gets bad yes. really quickly and it grew really quickly so it like doesn't fit in the industrial food system yeah and there's no way to like breed it so that it will and so it's like this thing that you have to eat and enjoy locally like right away yeah which is just like so fun <laughs> and yeah I, I think these type this type of produce it was sort of like that gateway into this way of thinking for me because um you can't really make that argument for much of anything else anymore these days because a lot of things are available at the store and it's funny like the, the pawpaws like they they grow all along the canal down here the 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 walking path along the potomac river and they grow all along but you can barely get them from if you find them from the canal home i mean without being all bruised up and mushy they're just super transient or at least that variety you know of them do you guys have a favorite thing that you make with them? Um, I just I just peel them and eat them. I have eaten I have eaten pawpaw pie like key lime pie, but made with pawpaws. Yep. Like a tart, yeah, like yep. custardy pie. We had that at um a fancy farm to table restaurant once, mom. And we have I have pawpaw trees now, and this is about their fourth or fifth year. 
And last year, I think I got like three pawpaws. And this year, it looks like we're going to have a lot more. But that's another thing, you know, like when you decide to grow your own fruit or whatever, it's like, you know, it takes years. It takes years. Yeah. um, Yep. But anyway, there's one more thing I want to ask before we end. You guys, you have your your Eastern European background. Do you all do fermenting at all? I didn't see any of it in the book. My 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 dad. I mean, I love fermented uh, things. I think with this uh, initial book, um, there are a lot of things that Christine and I said. This, Next if, time. if this was, yeah, like if we were, if this book is kind of geared to the frustration of just getting, trying to convince you to cook more or that yeah. you've, you know, started and felt, and you just kind of labeled yourself like, look, I just can't cook or I need a little help. We didn't want to add like any of the, the heavier stuff. Like we initially had, you know, like a pie recipe and like other things. And there are a lot of recipes we just removed and said, okay, but what's, what's our purpose with this initial book? And it was like introducing Huckle and Goose, the method, and then the process with the recipes seasonally. Um, yeah. And some of them, you know, whatever, easy, but not so much, but that, that sort of stuff. Um, no, but for, I love my, my brother, my, my dad, like we're all, we love that kind of stuff. And yeah. you know, farmers markets also, there's some amazing, um, you know, local farms that make it. Uh, but that's always, that's definitely, that will be in a, in a future cookbook. I love fermented things. And like, like I said, my, my husband always has our fridge stocked with that stuff. I don't personally have a desire to do that yet. I'm, you know, I feel like maybe that might come later, but it's not something I want to do. Um, but I think it'll probably, you know, come in the future at some point. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that I feel similar to you, Christine. My mom does it and there's always fermented things in her fridge and mm-hmm. I love that. But I, I still have like I don't why haven't I it's all it is is like salt and water in a mason jar. Like I could easily do that, but I just like haven't gone around to it. And you know yeah. when someone else makes like there's certain things my yeah. mother makes like this incredible <laughs> marinated chicken and pork, right? And it's I, I could eat it every week and not get tired of it. And she's given me the recipe. I've made it. And the kids are like, why don't you make it? And I said, it's just not as good. One, you know, it just there's something about everyone having like their thing. And it's not about me. I just, I've made it. And for some reason, it just doesn't taste the same. And I think it's the love she puts in it and the way she, I, I, there's just, there are all these little components. So there's also a part of like, but probably your mom fermenting. It's just tastes better. Like it's just, your yeah. Mom. And it, there's something so comforting to like eat something that they're, that they've made with love. And then it's like for you, but um, yeah, there's also that. like there's just certain things that, yeah, I'm sure I'll make, but it's, I, I want it directly from the source personally sometimes. You know what? <laughs> I actually read the scientific reason behind that. And certainly the less scientific reason is the love and everything that, that goes behind it. But it's that, your senses are not a part of the process as you're making it. So when you receive huh. like any sort of food and you weren't part of the process, it just speaks to your senses a lot more like intense. That makes sense. You were making yeah. it. I get that. I get that. Like if you're making it and you're smelling it all as you go and everything, it just becomes a different experience. And also you're yeah. maybe yeah. just some kind of satiation in preparing it that's unlike oh, here's a slice of this pie that grandma made. It's like just different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. So how can people, where can people find you? And how do I become 
part of the Huckleberry Goose lifestyle. So the book is a really great place to start, and that can be found um, anywhere books are sold. Um, we love to make a plug for local bookstores. Um, you know, you can order it from there, or of course, Amazon, Target, anywhere books are sold. Um, and then also, um, the site is hucklegoose.com. And that just starts you out with a week by week meal plan that's um, delivered to your inbox every Friday. And you just log in and get your recipes and your grocery list from there. Wow. Okay, well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. And I cannot wait. I'm, I'm sitting here. I've been staring at the book. Um, I'm going to do my, because it's Friday, so I'm going to empty my fridge and make my plan. Actually, I'm going out of town next week, so I'm going to empty my fridge and just leave it that way. But when I get back, <laughs> I'm like, go shopping. to a clean fridge, though. That alone. Exactly. You know? I mean, like a, I, I can't function in a disorganized room. Like, it just, it's clutter. It's there. There's something about a clean fridge. It like makes you want to cook more, you know, like yeah, weird sticky stuff on the on the shelves and things not covered well. Like it just it like keeps you from wanting to cook. I think. Um, like, yeah, it's a great, totally. it's a great thing that you're doing. You're coming back to the <laughs> fridge. My mom calls it um, the Lord's work. <laughs> like whenever I'm like emptying out my closet or doing those, because she's like, "Oh, you're doing the Lord's work." <laughs> I'm totally gonna use that now. It's true. I'm at, I'm at Lord's work all day then, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Yes, it was so great talking to you all. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. It was such a pleasure talking to you. All right. So I've got some great ideas from that. I'm going to go start cooking. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope that you check out our retreat landing page. It's on our website. Uh, send in a blog post idea or a written blog post if you have one or photos. Email us at thegooddirtpodcast at gmail.com if you have any podcast ideas and we can't wait to hear from you. Yeah, and uh, write us a review. And while you're at it, if you've read The Lady Farmer God to Slow Living... We would love a review of that, too, on Amazon. That would be very helpful. And, um, yeah, so everybody have a great... Does everyone have their to-do list, <laughs> their action <laughs> items from today? Yeah, so go off and do your homework, and we'll see you next class. <laughs> Just kidding, everyone. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>
Members receive access to a virtual community of hundreds of other slow living enthusiasts, as well as Almanac exclusive events, workshops, recipes, playlists, online gatherings, and a book club. We offer seasonal activities and ongoing discussions on a variety of topics to guide you on your slow living journey. Also included is 10% off the Lady Farmer Marketplace year-round, numerous resources and more, and discounted Lady Farmer events, including the Slow Living Retreat. As a Good Dirt listener, we are excited to offer you 20% off your monthly membership and three months free, which is basically an entire season, if you sign up for the year. So go ahead and go to ladyfarmer.com slash community to sign up with this special offer just for good dirt listeners yay that's ladyfarmer.com slash community to sign up for 20 percent off a monthly membership of the almanac or three months free if you sign up for an entire year that's ladyfarmer.com slash community